My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And certainly, if we've never said that, we certainly act that way, don't we? We act as though that's what we want so often. There are things that God forbids that we insist on doing. And there are things that God commands that we refuse to do. And this foolish and wicked posture of coming, standing before God and and wanting my will to be done is exposed and it is challenged in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're looking at this morning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To recap, we've been looking the last four weeks of the Lord's Prayer. In our first two weeks, we looked at the, the address how we stand before God, how we approach God as our Father in heaven. He's our Father, and so He loves us, He cherishes us, He delights in us, He delights to hear our prayers, and He loves to answer our prayers in the best possible way. And so we come with that that sense of confidence to our Father. But He is our Father in heaven. Enthroned in heaven, the Creator, Sovereign Lord, the Almighty, and so we come also with a sense of reverence and awe and His holiness and greatness. And so we come to God with both intimacy and awe together. Intimacy and awe, our Father, but our Heavenly Father. And then we looked at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. God, may your name be separated from every other name. May it be revered and honoured. That's what it means when we pray, hallowed be thy name. And then last week we looked at that second petition, thy kingdom come. God, you are king. May your kingdom be established on earth. May it be established in the hearts of each and every person. And then this week we pray to our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me point out, perhaps one more time, that our Lord Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that the priority of our prayer is our Father in heaven. It's the first, the first thing we are to pray for, is for God, for his name for his kingdom, for his wealth. We come to God and we pray first for his glory. Then, and next week, we'll begin to look at the petitions that we pray for ourselves. Let's ask our Father to help us now. Yes, Father, we, we pray as our heavenly King that you will teach us now from your word And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when we pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, we are recognising five things. First of all, when we pray, Father, your will be done, we are saying, Father, you have the right to rule. 
You have the right to rule. Remember when Moses came to Pharaoh with a message from God, a message from the Lord. Pharaoh, let my people go. How did Pharaoh respond? In Exodus 5, we read that he said this. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. That was Pharaoh's response to a command from his creator, the God of heaven. Who is he that I should obey him? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's so often that is our posture before God. Why should I obey him? And this prayer reminds us that he is the God of heaven. He made you. He handmade you. Knit you together in your mother's womb. Breathe the breath of life into you. You're made in his image to glorify him. You belong to him. It is right to obey him. It is right to obey him. And when we pray, your will be done, we are saying, Father, you have the right to rule your whole creation. You have the right to rule my life. You have the right to be king over my life. Secondly, when we pray, your will be done, we are, we are praying, Father, your ways are perfect. If we are praying that God's will will be done, then we are recognising that his will is a good will. We want it to happen. His ways are perfect. When we visited Philadelphia just a few weeks ago, I had the delight of visiting or touring the, the battleship New Jersey, which is uh, moored just, just near Philadelphia. And on this battleship, which was built during World War II and it served in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, I pretty much had the whole thing to myself. For some reason, no one was quite as excited as me to visit a World War II battleship. But there I was, and I was in the Admiral's, the Admiral's cabins below deck. And there, in this area, where the Admiral used to eat and meet with his staff, was an ancient sailor. And when I say ancient, he was a sailor in World War II. So he actually fought in World War II. And he served on ships in the US Navy in Japan. And I, was, I had a wonderful conversation with him. Actually, it wasn't a conversation. I just, I just listened to his, his wonderful stories. This, ancient old sailor and I said asked him a question I said look what was it like to have an admiral on board what's that like and he said all oh, those admirals they're pains in the neck he said he said they have no common sense he said uh, when, when we used to, to, to dock and they used to make us tie up the ship in our dress uniform our dress whites because that made them look good to people on shore but when you tie up the ship, you get dirty. And then when you walked off the ship, the admiral would say, hey, sailor, why have you got oil on your uniform? And so he'd say, oh, those admirals, those silly men, no common sense. 
And I'm sure every sailor who's ever lived has had that kind of attitude, right? Uh, that he would know much better than his captain. If only I could be put in charge. I'm sure every second nurse thinks that the doctors are superfluous. I'm sure there's a lot of teachers, who, uh, students who think they could do a better job than their university professors. Anyway, this is the, the human attitude and we come with this kind of attitude to God. So often, who's he? And look at his laws, look at his commands. They don't make sense. They don't feel right. I think I could do things much better. So when we pray, Father, your ways, let your will be done, we are saying, Father, your ways are perfect. You know best. You know what is right. Turn with me, please, to to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Verse 7. Where David says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. I love that. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And when we come to our Heavenly Father and we pray, your will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, Father, you really do know best. And your ways are perfect in a way that my ways will never be, could never be. Let your will be done. Your ways are perfect and trustworthy and right. The third thing we pray When we pray, your will be done. Well, the third thing we recognise is that we have not done the Father's will. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we immediately recognise that we have fallen short. We look up to heaven, in fact, when we pray this prayer, and through the eyes of scripture, we see the angels, because that, that, that prayer says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it lifts up our eyes to heaven and it's as though we see the angels of heaven rushing and keen to do the will of their father. We, we see God saying to his archangel Michael through the eyes of scripture, go to Daniel and explain the meaning of the vision that I've just given him. And, and Michael rushing to Daniel, to obey the will of his father and fighting for 21 days to accomplish that will, we read in Daniel chapter 10. We, we see Gabriel being told by the father, go, go Gabriel, go to Mary and tell her that she is to be the mother of my incarnate son. And we see Gabriel rushing joyfully to obey the will of God. And we see God commanding his angels after the 40 days of fasting for our Lord Jesus. Go, go and care for my son. And the angels rushing to care for the needs of our Lord Jesus. When we look up to heaven, we see God's angels delighting to do his will, not hesitating to do his will, longing to do his will. It's a privilege 
for them to do his will. In Psalm 103, we read these words. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. And so when we lift up our eyes and we see God's angels rushing and keen to do the will of God, we cannot but help see that that we are not the same as that. We're not the same. We don't rush to do the will of God. We're reluctant. and We resist him. And we don't delight to do his will. So often it's done with reluctance or not at all. And so, the Lord's Prayer brings us to confess our disobedience and it brings us to repent of our disobedience as well. It's good to confess our sin and to acknowledge our sin, but it's not good if that's all we do, is it? Let me just say that again. It's good to confess our sin, but it's not good if that's all we do because Saul confessed his sin Judas confessed his sin, but confession is fake news without repentance. And that's why John the Baptist said to the people who were listening to his preaching, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the people called out, what should we do then? And John explained, well, those who are greedy, if you've got two tunics, share with the one who has none. Those who have lots of food, share with those who don't have any food. Tax collectors, stop stealing. Soldiers, stop using your your weapons to extort money of people. And so the Lord's Prayer brings us to confess our sins, to repent of them, and it causes us to ask, what do I need to change? What do I need to repent of. The Christian doesn't just confess their sins, they repent of their sins as well. Fourthly, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are saying to God that we want to be his obedient children. Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me point out here that that Christians are are never, ever trying to manipulate God. Christians are are never trying to to do deals with God. God, if if I uh, do these good things, then I expect that you will give me those other good things. And if I am obedient, then you will forgive me of my sins. If I'm obedient... You will receive me into heaven. Christians, what, what, what do we call that? We call that legalism. It's legalism. That's not Christianity. The gospel is not us coming to God and saying, we will obey you so that you will save us. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. We're not trying to manipulate God in that kind of way. Instead, having been forgiven of our sins... Having received God's grace, we want to obey him as a result. We want to be his loving and obedient children. 
And Peter said in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Here, what Peter calls Christians, obedient children. We love our Father. We want to obey him. We delight to obey him. We're not, trying to, we're not obeying him just to get things from him. We obey him because it is a joy to do that. And John says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 3, this is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, says John. We pray. When we pray, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that heavenly obedience will break into every part of our lives. We pray that heavenly obedience will break into every part of our life. And so I'm thinking of of, of some of our kids here. And you're at school and you see that that, that kid is all on his own, he's lonely in the playground. You will pray, Father, your will be done. Not what do I want to do in this situation, but what does God want me to do? And he would want you to do what? To go and to talk to that lonely kid and to bring the the love of Jesus to someone who is suffering from loneliness. And when, when you see that your parents don't understand you, and that happens from time to time, doesn't it? You think your parents don't understand you. Well, you pray, Father... Your will be done in this situation. Your will be done. And I know that you want me to honour my parents. And I know that you've given me my parents for a reason. And I know that they have some experience that I don't yet have, some wisdom that I've not yet been able to acquire. Your will be done. I want to lash out at them, but your will be done. How do I honour my parents in this situation? And when a delicious gossipy conversation begins. And it's so tempting to join in with that gossipy conversation and to tear down subtly the reputation of another person. We pray, Father, your will be done. Your will be done here. You don't want me to participate in a conversation that harms the reputation of another person. You want me to love others. When you're confronted by a need, and you see someone who has a need, a financial need perhaps, a need for for companionship, a need for help, your will be done, Father. How How do I bring help to this person in need? When your husband frustrates you, Or your wife frustrates you. And we want to lash out. We want to withdraw. We want to punish in some way. Instead, we pray, your will be done, Father. Your will, not not my will. My will would be to, to punish the other person for frustrating me. But your will be done. How do I love my wife as Christ loves the church? How do I honor my husband in this situation? When we are sorely tempted to sin, 
We come before God and we say, God, this is what I want to do. Your will be done in this time and in this place. When we obey, brothers and sisters, when we obey, we bring heaven to earth. Because the angels are obeying God, they love to obey God, they rush to obey God. When we obey God, we are bringing heaven to earth. Heaven is is breaking in to that situation. And we find ourselves in awful situations, hard situations, tough situations. We pray your will be done and we are obedient to God and heaven comes in. And when we obey God, we allow people to see something of heaven. That's what the angels are doing. And so when we are obedient, even when it's hard to be obedient, we are letting people see something of the glory of God and something of his, his angels. We are showing people something of our Heavenly Father. And so fifthly and finally, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, please send your son back soon. We're, say, we're saying that as well. Let me just recap. When we pray, your will be done, we're saying, Father, you have the right to rule. We are saying, Father, your ways are perfect. We are confessing that we have not always done God's will. We are saying to God that we want to be his obedient children. And finally, we are praying, please send your son back soon. Now, in the the children's Bible that, that we had lying around when I was a kid, I loved the pictures of the promised land that were in that, that children's Bible. And I loved the pictures of the, the spies coming out of this beautiful land, carrying that, that great big bunch of grapes, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of grape honey smoothies, if you like. That's what it seemed like as a child, this, this beautiful place of freedom, security, peace, and plenty. But I've been, in my own Bible reading, I've been working through Deuteronomy in the last couple of weeks. And you know what the greatest blessing of the land was? The greatest blessing of the land was that this is a place where God's people would be free to obey God. That was the greatest blessing of the land. In Egypt, they were under the the reign of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's gods and idolatry and they were enslaved and they couldn't take that one day in seven to worship the Lord, enslaved to the ways and the culture of Egypt and to go into the promised land was to go into a land of freedom. Freedom to live the way God had created them to live. That was the best thing about the promised land. God's redeemed people now free to live God's way. And my old pastor used to say, I can think back 25 years ago, he would say, you know, the thing that I am most looking forward to heaven, I didn't say that very well, the thing that I am most looking forward to in heaven is that there won't be any sin there. And as a 20-year-old, I was, I was confused by that. Because I think, it sounded so negative. The best thing about heaven is that there is no sin. I was thinking about all the delights of heaven 
And here's, here's my old pastor saying, the best thing about heaven is that there won't be any sin. And the older I get and the further I go as a Christian, the more I think he is absolutely right. I can't wait to be in that place where there will be no more sin. No more sin dehumanising me and us. No more sin breaking the hearts of those around us, hurting us, hurting those around us. No more sin which causes tears and sadness and pain. There'll be no more of that in God's kingdom. And that's a wonderful thing to look forward to. Instead, there will be the delight of perfectly obeying our Heavenly Father. The delight of perfect obedience. That's the promised land. That's heaven. That's freedom. Perfect obedience. God's will being done. And we want that now. And that's what we pray, brothers and sisters. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, come Lord Jesus, bring heaven to earth. Banish sin. Correct injustice. Bring perfect, joyful obedience on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks, musicians.
Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Apostle Paul says that before we come to this field, we ought to examine ourselves. We ought to examine ourselves to see whether we can come in a worthy way. A worthy way. Now, what does it mean to come to the Lord's table in a worthy way? I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Paul does not mean that the table is for those who have kept God's Ten Commandments, the good people, those who have been uh, holy and diligent in their prayer, their church attendance, their Bible reading, but these are the people who are worthy to take the Lord's table. If, if that were true, who would be coming this morning? Who, 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 who would come to this table if the criteria was that you are a good person who has kept all of God's laws? No one would come to the table. No one would be allowed to come to the table. That is not the criteria. Who is the worthy person? Paul says the worthy person is the one who discerns the body of Christ. Who discerns the body of Christ. Meaning, those who recognize that this is a symbol of the body of Jesus broken for our sins. And that the wine is a symbol of his blood, which poured out from his body the crucifixion. But to discern the body of the Lord is also to have said, I need the crucified Jesus. I need him to bear my sin and to take the punishment of my sin. That's what it means to discern the body. It is to come before God to say, I'm a, I'm a lawbreaker, I deserve your punishment, and I need your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified. That is who is worthy to take the Lord's supper. The person who confesses and acknowledges their sin and their need of the Savior. I hope that's clear, and I hope that. Uh, you will now see that, that if you haven't yet come to that place of knowing that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you remain seated during this meal, 
And I hope you'll see that if you know that you're a sinner, deserving God's judgment, and you need God's grace, and He is a gracious God, and He is a merciful God, and you, you want to come and receive His grace and His mercy given in His Son, Jesus Christ, crucified for us, then you come, come and take the symbols of his body and blood and give thanks for the mercy of God, the grace of God. Please, never forget the astonishing love and mercy of a God who forgives us our sins and has given us his son to take care of our sins so that we could be adopted as his children. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. I think the family's going to play something for us now, and while the music is playing, those who need the Saviour, come forward and take these symbols of the body of God.
Brothers and sisters, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you eat and drink, remember him, give thanks to him.
Um, now as we, we go this afternoon, this morning, this afternoon, um, I'd like to finish with these words from the end of 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So as we enjoy, uh, you know, after church, eating, drinking, talking, reflecting, um, I just pray that God be with you this week. Thank you.